We believe the Bible to be the Word of God, the uh, inerrant, inspired, and authoritative uh, Word of the true and living God. Uh, we are, it's our habit to preach through books of the Bible, so we have been in Luke for quite some time now, passage by passage, and it is our, um, I continually encourage you, keep your Bibles open because uh, I'm not preaching what I simply want to say, but rather am grounding what I say in the authority of the Word of God. And so it's always a good practice to have your Bible open, to check me on what I'm saying, and uh, to see if what I'm saying is indeed the Word of God, and uh, to then look to the Lord and seek to obey uh, His Word. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We ask that your word would speak uh, loudly to our hearts this morning. Help us to be committed to our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is what Jesus told the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And the church in Laodicea was not really opposed to Jesus, but they weren't really for him either. If you were to read the, the, the context in which Jesus said that to Uh, the Laodiceans. Uh, They were trusting in their money. They had a nice, comfortable lifestyle. And so they trusted there. And it was nice that Jesus was around too. You know, that same attitude uh, prevails today where people are not really opposed to Jesus, but they're not really for him either. I would guess that most people in our nation would not think of themselves as being against Jesus Christ, but they're not entirely for him either. They're willing to admire Jesus from a distance so long as he does not make too many demands on their obedience. In our passage this morning, Jesus is calling for a total commitment to himself. He rejects a lukewarm faith that, while giving lip service, keeps him at arm's length. According to this passage that I just quoted uh, from Jesus in Revelation 3, lukewarm faith turns his stomach. So if we're going to understand what Jesus is teaching in our passage this morning, we're going to need to see that whether we are really for Jesus or against him. There's no middle or neutral ground. There's no position that will allow us to be indifferent towards Jesus, either in our faith or our life. So let's turn our attention to Luke chapter 11. It's been about three weeks since we were last in Luke, so a little review might be in order. In verse 14, Jesus had cast out a demon uh, from a man who was mute, And when the mute man began to speak, some uh, in the crowd tried to discount the miracle. 
According to Matthew's account, uh, we know that the people that were trying to discount the miracle uh, were Pharisees. Their hearts were hardened against Jesus. They witnessed the demon being cast out of this man who was mute. The mute man began to speak, likely praising God. Um, but against all evidence to the contrary, they attributed this uh, miracle to Satan, or uh, as we see here in the passage, to Beelzebul, the prince of, of demons. Um, if I were in a discussion where the other person discounted my arguments in the face of all evidence to the contrary, what I'd do is I'd probably just break off the conversation. I, I wouldn't have the patience to deal with it. But not our Lord Jesus. He patiently built an argument to counter their crazy assertions in verses 17 through 22. But I want us to focus this morning on verse 23, because there was another group besides the hard-hearted Pharisees. Look again at verse 16. He talked, there were some who said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, verse 15, verse 16, while others, to test him, kept uh, seeking from him a sign from heaven. They had witnessed the miracles of casting out the demon, uh, and they were not willing to discount the miracle. Uh, like the religious leaders, like the Pharisees were wanting to do. Uh, but with the religious leaders, with these Pharisees, taking such a strong stand against Jesus, they began to see that there was going to be a, a cost to following Jesus. These Pharisees would be able to have them banned from their local synagogue, most likely. These Pharisees would likely try and bring pressure against them from the community. So it seems that this group in verse 16, who were looking for another sign from heaven, they were basically taking a wait-and-see attitude towards Jesus. Would God give a sign from heaven that would shut the mouths of the Pharisees and allow them to follow Jesus without having to potentially become an outcast in the community? It is this question that I think Jesus is addressing in verses 23 through 26. So he addressed the Pharisees in their hard-hearted assertion that Jesus was from Satan. And then he turned from the Pharisees to the rest of the crowd um, who were reluctant to follow Jesus because of what it would likely cost them. So verse 23 uh, a very important passage or verse in our passage this morning. Jesus said, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. There's several things to notice here in this verse. First of all, as I've already tried to make clear, a person is either with Jesus or against Jesus. There is no neutral ground. There is no middle way. There is no position that will allow us to be indifferent toward the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no time when we as human beings, as creatures of God, who are created 
by the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no time that we are allowed to be indifferent um, in our faith or in our life. Secondly, Jesus is calling for action here in this verse. If you say that you are for Jesus, you must gather to him. Look again at uh, verse 23, the second half of verse 23. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. It's not enough to believe in Jesus. You must commit yourself to him. Do you remember what, the, what Jesus told the crowds in, in Luke chapter 9? I know it's, at the pace we've been going through Luke, it's been many months now. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Or will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his own soul? So Jesus is calling anyone who would be his follower. He's calling them to total commitment. He's calling them to daily commitment. He is calling them to wholehearted commitment. It is a commitment that follows him even if it means suffering for him. Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love him with all your soul and with all your strength? I like that. I love that yes, by the way, wherever it came from. Are you taking up your cross to deny yourself in order that you might wholeheartedly, in total commitment, follow him? And then thirdly, in verse 23, Jesus is making it clear um, that he is calling for an immediate decision on your part. He's rebuking the wait-and-see approach. If you are sitting on the sideline and waiting for a sign from heaven, even if you want to follow Jesus, but you're not doing so because you're waiting and seeing, seeing Well, how much is it going to cost? Or I'm not ready yet. Your non-action is resistance towards Jesus. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus is telling the crowd to get off the fence. Do not let anything, even possible rejection by your family or your community, to keep you from Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, We are told that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not after you graduate from college, not after you get married, not after you become a grandparent, not before you die. No, today is the day of salvation. Whoever is not with Jesus is against him, and whoever does not gather with him scatters. Either you're with Jesus or you're fighting against him is the upshot of what the Lord Jesus is telling us here in verse 23. Jesus will not allow you to keep your options open. Today is the day of salvation. Trust in him 
today. I cannot understand the mindset that would not come to the Lord Jesus Christ immediately. Our Lord Jesus left heaven and he entered into our world for the express purpose of going to that awful cross for sinners like you and like me to die for our sins. When he consented to have his hands and feet nailed to the cross, it was because he loved sinners like us. He gave himself to that cross with this intense pain, with this undeserved shame, with this unspeakable suffering. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12 says that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, scorning his shame. You know what the joy was that was set before the Lord Jesus when he embraced the cross? It was a twofold joy. It was his Father's glory and his love for us. We were the joy that moved Jesus toward the cross. That's how much he loves us. On the cross, Jesus became sin in the stead of sinners. He offered himself up to the justice of God in our behalf. He was the Lamb of God who was sacrificed on that cross as our substitute. When we commit ourselves to him, we are committing ourselves to a Savior who is full of mercy towards us. He died for us so that his grace would continually overflow into our lives. He is a good Savior. He is a faithful Savior. He is trustworthy. He can be trusted with your life and with your eternity. You can trust yourself to him for him to lead you and guide you in your desires, in your family, in everything that is important uh, in this life. Give to him and trust to him. He's the God of gods and the Lord of lords that loved you and came here and died for you. Listen to how he describes his lordship over your life in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's a good Savior. If you're not his follower, if you have not given yourself to him in total commitment, why would you not do so? Moving on to verse 24 through 26. This is a continuation of Jesus' call to commit ourselves to him. It's kind of an odd passage. On the face of it, it's hard to understand. But when you realize that this is still part of his his sermon. They didn't separate things by verse numbers when uh, the Bible was originally written. And Jesus did not separate into verse numbers when he preached. Um, this is a continuation of his call to commit ourselves to him. And what Jesus is saying here is that if we do not commit ourselves to him, we are putting ourselves in serious spiritual danger. Because this Preaching was occasioned by what? By the casting out of a demon. He decided to use this demon possession 
as a visual illustration. Verses 24 through 26. When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Many people want a moral foundation and, a, and the religious uh, life uh, because it brings order to one's life. Living without a moral foundation makes life unlivable. It robs life of the simple and satisfying joys that we all long for. If you have no foundation, where is the source of your purpose and your, and your happiness? There are many people who begin bringing their children to church to give their children a moral foundation. Others start coming to church to help them make a difficult life change. But without Jesus in your life, whatever moral improvements you you might make, they will only be temporary and will leave you worse off than before. I think also the reason Jesus uses this particular illustration is... Uh, he is using a not-so-subtle or giving a not-so-subtle rebuke to the Pharisees who were calling Jesus a, de- a devil for casting out a demon. Who was the most religiously devout people around in Jesus' day? It was the Pharisees. Who was the most morally conscious people around? The Pharisees, they thought morally about every decision, every action that they took. But they lacked the, uh, the transforming power of Jesus Christ at, at um, living in their soul. And so though they had swept their, their life clean, so to speak, put everything in some kind of order... They were seven times the devil than the other people in the crowd. And I I think that's what Jesus is subtly saying. He's saying to you, the Pharisees who were calling him a devil, he's, no, you're the ones that's full of seven demons. Um, You're the ones who are hard-hearted against God. But returning to this idea of Uh, needing the Lord Jesus Christ for moral renovation. I used to tell this this riddle quite often. I don't know if I've told it uh, here from the pulpit in in a a good number of years. Here's the riddle. When is a thief no longer a thief? Let's say that the thief gets caught. He's thrown in jail. They take everything that he could possibly steal. They nail it down. There's nothing for him to steal. Does the thief no longer, uh, is he no longer considered a thief because he's not stealing anything? No. In his heart, he is still a thief. Well, when is a thief no longer a thief? A thief is no longer a thief when he becomes a generous person in his heart. And a thief does not become generous 
until they meet the Lord Jesus Christ. The same thing goes for all of us. We're sinners. We need a moral transformation from the inside out. We need a moral transformation that only God can give us. We need to be regenerated. We need to be brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. That is something that only the Lord Jesus Christ can bring about. And when the the moral um, uh, changes that take place are real because they are coming from a heart that loves God, that is totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Lord Jesus is saying here. You try and clean yourself up like these Pharisees, And you're going to put yourself in a very dangerous position spiritually. The only way that you can make moral changes in your life is to tell Jesus, I can't do it without you. Help me. I give myself to you. I trust myself to you. And Jesus delights to hear that prayer and to answer it. Jesus' point which Matthew makes clear in his account of this incident, is that the soul is not neutral. If your soul is empty, if it's been swept clean, put in order, so to speak, you are in great danger because your soul must needs be filled. Either give your soul to Jesus or you'll fill it with something else. You'll fill it with all those idols that we talked about with the children's sermon. And your soul will belong to to Satan. Now remember, this is an illustration. Jesus is not saying that every non-Christian is possessed by seven demons, but he's pressing home the fact that your soul is in a spiritually dangerous place if you're trying to live, uh, trying to live your life even trying to live as a moral and religious person without committing yourself in totality to the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him today. Recommit yourself to Him today. He's a good Savior. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank You for Your great love for us. We thank You for Your great power at work in us by Your Spirit that your Spirit has come and made uh, our heart his home, and he is producing spiritual fruit in us. Lord, help us to uh, lean upon you, to love you, to become more and more like you. And, O Lord, we ask if there are any here who do not know the Lord Jesus, bring them powerfully to yourself. We ask in his name. Amen.